Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. All right, everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're talking about the UFC card going down at the Accor Arena. I want to roll the R each time. I shouldn't ask Accor Arena. Yeah, it's a glottal R, Accor. Yeah, Accor Arena in you Paris. Give me, the, give me the French words, and I like making that sound. Ask me to say cider in French. Uh, say cider in French. Cidre. 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 <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, it's a fun word. But uh, going down in Paris, France, headlined by a top-ranked heavyweight bout, Cyril Gon, Sergei Spivak. We're talking about the prelims right now with a featured prelim against Morgan Charrier against Manolo Zucchini. Should be Zucchini. <laughs> Zucchini. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna call him. I'm gonna call him Manny Zucchini, even though his actual nickname it's pretty cool. His nickname is Angelo Veneziano, which I'm pretty sure means the Angel of Venice. Of Venice? Oh, Venezia is Venice. Okay. I I I would have thought maybe like it meant like Angel of Vengeance, but uh, Venezia is Italian for Venice, so I think it's yeah, Angel of Venice. That is a great nickname, especially too, because he's got kind of a baby face. Yeah. The cherub of Venice, more like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, they also really did miss the trick of not uh, nicknaming him Veggie Tales. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that reference scans in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was there a zucchini on Veggie Tales? I don't think so. Was it? Was there a Zeke the zucchini? Let's see. <laughs> there, there's a cucumber probably he would have been confused for the cucumber who was one of the lead characters oh uh, yeah there was Ickabeezer is a oh, crotchety God. billionaire's genie from the series oh, oh, oh. I know that character okay I've seen that guy yeah <laughs> so obviously a, a bad Ebenezer pun yeah so we have Manolo Ickabeezer Zucchini yeah the reference is becoming more and more unreachable for the average person <laughs> i'm going with manny zucchini yeah it's like how that uh that one super Ednaldo Oliveira's nickname was actually squidward <laughs> was it was it yeah, the, the, the portuguese was, for squidward it was lula molescu he, he he changed it to just be lula eventually because like you know that just means like squid does it i didn't mm-hmm. know that and but his actual nickname originally in that great that great perfect Brazilian tradition they have of finding the most hurtful awful nickname possible for you was Squidward Lula Malescu. So the the president of Brazil's name is Luis Inácio Squid da Silva. I believe so. Lula means squid. 
Pretty sure. Wow. Portuguese for skit, squid, or squid. What a great last name. Yep, Lula. My name is Lewis Squid. <laughs> if you look at a picture of of, of Ednaldo Oliveira, you can immediately see why he would get nicknamed Squidward. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, also, yeah. what a, I love international names for beloved American cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. He That's was really basically fun. like, I think it was basically like Squid Clam, would I, I would assume be the... Oh, Lula Molusco. Okay, yeah. Squid, yeah. squid Mollusk. Yeah. Okay. Wow, I learned something new. Yep. Which I will forget in three minutes. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about Morgan Chaudier against uh-huh. Manolo Zucchini. Manolo Zucchini. <laughs> Angelo Veneziano. Angelo Veneziano. This is Manolo Zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> the French are relieved. There's so many more of them on this card, but it's so much easier to be racist towards the Italians. <laughs> um, the one Italian gets all the uh, the yeah. Euro-ethnic stereotyping. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, this is fine. I mean... For whatever reason, uh, maybe because like there's like French people living in England and there's like, you know, five French MMA fighters there, like all the ones who didn't go to the Netherlands or where or like northern Europe crossed the channel. But Morgan Charrier appeared to have a serious following as a cage warriors fighter. Mm hmm. Which is weird because to me, he is Tyrone Woodley. <laughs> He's a pretty boring fighter. I, I think he's, uh, I, I think he's a serious, and he may never break out of it. We'll see, but I think he's a serious young veteran. That could very well be the case. He he is a a fighter who whose fights are largely defined by him trying to just ride the line of not losing. Mm-hmm. And um, he started. I mean, he's twenty seven. And he's been fighting since 2014. Yeah. And he's got 28 fights. Yeah. And so I think he's just got serious young veteran syndrome where, you know, he started as a teenager, super young in the proto MMA era of French MMA, where they were still like doing a hundred percent fight that organization where like you basically had, uh, you couldn't strike on the ground. Uh huh. Was a big part of it. Which uh, looked like some shackles he was very happy to shake free. Yeah. In his fight with Pedro Souza. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can take this guy down and then beat him up. And boy, did he have a good time doing that. And yep. I, I will say that in that fight and the follow-up against Diego Silva, both Cage Warriors bouts, he did look a little more assertive. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Maybe it- he's turning that young veteran corner of being like, Actually, I've developed a pretty solid, well-rounded skill set. I'm I'm pretty difficult to outright beat. Yeah, he's very can, clearly very athletic. He yeah, he's very strong. He's fast and powerful. Uh, he has a well-rounded technical game. Yeah, he is just having to shake himself out of the habit of fighting an extremely measured pace and not not taking any calculated risks. Yeah, but it does look like in his last two fights. They're they're pretty assertive performances for him. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, we would we would hope that he gets to the Bobby Green Jorge Masvidal territory. Yeah, I think he has he definitely has the makings of a pretty good fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's already he's, not a bad fighter. It's just that yeah, he's got a lot of splits and majorities because a lot of time elapses without him doing anything while also not allowing the opponent to get much off. Yeah, and, and you know, hopefully, if he really is on that young veteran sort of path, then should be taking pretty good care of himself and sure have like a, you know, the chance to peak in like five, five or six more years, potentially. Sure. At 27. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's had a long career, as you said, but, um, he appears guys, to have learned a lot from that guys who, who have his kind of athleticism and have that kind of style often mm-hmm. tend to be pretty good. You know, like we've yeah. seen this pattern before we've seen, you know, Robbie Lawler, Jorge Masvidal, Bobby Green right now is, you know, doing some of his best work in the past yep. couple of years. He is a plus athlete who does not willingly take lots of damage. So, yep. uh, yeah, there, there's a reason to hope. And even without that, I'm kind of inclined to pick him over Manny Zucchini. Yeah. Because um, Zucchini is a dangerous fighter for sure. Mm-hmm. He knocks a lot of people out very quickly. He's got big power and he is himself reasonably well-rounded, but he's a bully. And I think there is a strong tendency for him to fall off a cliff when he can't get somebody out of there quickly or when he doesn't have the whole fight going his way. I've only seen that indicated in a couple fights, but it's enough for me to suspect that that is a trend that can be exploited at this level. The other thing is that whether he wants to or not, he flings himself bodily into his opponents. Yeah. I'm having his, to grapple with them. His footwork is really pretty bad. Yes. There's not a lot. I actually really like technically about his game. He is strong and he hits hard. Yep. And he throws with reckless abandon. Yep. But he really falls in on his strikes. He and... really falls in on his strikes. And it just seems like, you know, and mostly he's also, it's got to be said too, he's been fighting really poor competition. Yeah. So he's been fighting a lot of people that, you know, it's you could say he's got great knockout power. Yeah. But it's, you know, maybe just great knockout power but against guys who don't really have the athleticism and durability to fight at his level. Definitely not. They're pretty bad. And um, I would not say that one of his losses that I watched is an exception. His, his cage warriors bout with Danny Mattiason, mm-hmm. Danny Mattiason, who was four and O to, uh, to Zucchini's seven and one at the time is a God awful striker. Yeah. And not even really a good wrestler. Looked like he had some skills in the grappling, but um this was the fight that really had me that that I, I had me looking for Zucchini uh crumbling when he doesn't just get to dominate in yeah. his other matchups because he's in there, he lands huge shots. Matthiason shows grit, he pops back up when he gets dropped. It happens more than once. And Meanwhile, Matthiason is in there. One of the commentators, God bless him, actually said this. He's thrown a flying knee and a spinning wheel kick and not one jab. Yeah. Which is a critique that I often level at MMA strikers. 
that's the kind of striking he had. He had a bunch of wild, cool move ideas that he had no idea how to set up that did not sit in any kind of system. He was just getting tooled up by somebody who was merely fast and confident with their strikes. And then literally Zakini himself throws himself into grappling situations. Often it seemed by accident because he would just yeah. fly into Matthiasen and be like, oops, I have to clinch. I'm off balance. He gets some scrambles and then he gasses. Yeah. Within the first round, he's already gassing, and Matthiasen just takes over through sheer will. Uh, and Matthiasen like is not a good... He did not look like a particularly good fighter. Seems like a good opportunity for Chayes. Uh, um, yeah. His just patient pressure approach yeah. to potentially wear down Zucchini, even without having to have a lot of exchanges. Yeah. Just putting him on his bike all the time. Yep. That is one thing that uh, makes the uh, the Tehran Woodley comparison not fit. Yeah, he he might be too patient for his own good, but he's patient within a what is generally a pressuring game. Yeah, he does want to control the space uh, routinely, and yeah, absolutely. I think Zucchini will be feeling that pressure and will be making a lot of um, sacrificial decisions. Yeah. Because of that will be burning a lot of energy trying to back Sharier off. And and again, I just think mechanically he is going to end up having to grapple with Sharier, who looks like a much better grappler. Yeah, like I say, I, I, I like Sharier in the young veteran role. I, mm-hmm. I'm, he seems like the kind of fighter that we I could grow to appreciate his game a lot more as his UFC career goes on if he can can pick up his aggression and, and find his confidence in aggression more, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Could he could easily be the kind of, even with like an, a bit pretty abysmal record right now. It's not he, even abysmal, honestly, like yeah, it's four of his nine losses were picked up in like the first year of his career. And then four of the other nine are majority and split decisions to, um, all the recent ones of those to pretty decent fighters. Yeah. So uh, he's just been out there getting the hard work as like yeah. a road warrior and, and taking a lot of reasonably tough fights. And it, it does seem to have turned him into a really solid and difficult to uh, outclass kind of fighter. Yeah. I could, I, he's the kind of fighter with, even with a record like that, you could see becoming a top 10 talent in the yeah. UFC. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a certainty, but I agree yeah. he has that potential. And and a big part of that is, as you mentioned, the uh, obvious physicality. He is clearly a plus athlete, which mm-hmm. is only a boon, with even given a style that is often a bit too cautious. Yep. So I'm very fascinated to see him show up here. I think it's probably, you know, it's probably one of those things, too, where it may be that he's going to be hitting the UFC at just the right time, too, where. Yeah, yeah. I would you like know, to think so. He's in his late twenties. He's still in his physical prime, and he's he looks got a, like his game was starting to peak in his last two yep. fights. And he's got a ton of experience, so we could see him just hit like, like I say for a guy with an eighteen nine record, it could just be a perfect right place, right time, mm-hmm. jumping in. You know, yeah. And if not, I suspect he'll be a solid. Um, he'll still be a pretty solid, like. Um, Cody Stamen type of guy. Yeah. At 145. Stocky, strong, maybe doesn't win all the rounds, but uh, is a good test for a lot yeah. of different styles. Could also see maybe like a, you know, sort of Chris Curtis path. Where sure. Like, 
you know, Curtis jumps in and he he ran right up into the middleweight top 15 and he's taken yeah. his knockbacks there. But he has still... the disadvantage of being in a much better division <laughs> than Chris Curtis. Yeah. But it's still, you know, he made himself an instant, he made an yeah. instant impact in the division, even without becoming a truly uh, contender, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it is a lot harder to run through the featherweight ranks. It is a be lot honest. harder. Yes. Much. Uh, Charrier is a heavy favorite. Open at minus 286. It's currently down at minus 326. That line having dropped like 30 points in the last day. So looks like a pretty heavy bet coming in on Charrier. Charrier and I can easily see why too in the sort of like his record yeah. doesn't look that good on paper. So the line was set pretty middlingly and then people are like, wait, no, this guy's actually... Yeah, and I would be hesitant to to put strong odds based on his style, but combined with Zucchini's, I think Zucchini yeah. will help destroy himself. So yeah, Zucchini opened to plus two forty three, and has jumped from plus two fifty three to plus two seventy four in the last day. Probably the worst single trait you could have against a guy like Charrier is to be self destructive. Yeah, I mean, we've seen with so many of the fighters that sort of share, even if you want to put Woodley in that category. Absolutely, I would. Then you, you, we've seen with so many of those guys, like if you are there to, if you are going to give them an opportunity to beat you. Are you Darren Till? Yeah. Because if so, you're going to make Woodley look like a beast. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight fight. Taylor Lapalus, Kalam Lahren, and uh, yeah, this was supposed to be Lahren versus Gamuri and Lapalus against uh, Muin Gafarov, but we've switched things up here at the last minute. Yep. And um, do we? Are we sure we're not certain how to pronounce? Either of Colin Lochran's two names, are we? No, no. Irish Irish is tough. Yeah. Uh, it could be his name could be Carl, you know, Loafler or something for all I know. It's funny because his co- his head coach's name, according to Tapology, is Colin Heron, and probably his name is the Gaelic version of Colin, if I had yeah. to guess. Yeah. But Colin uh, Gaelic was uh it was decided which which uh Roman characters to use. Uh, for Irish Gaelic um, a long time ago, and those sounds no longer apply to our modern interpretation of how's those what sounds those letters make. Mm-hmm. So like Bs make a V sound, and other old like linguistic shift things are yep. relics in the way Gaelic is written. So I'm I don't know. You see the name how the name Siobhan is spelled versus pronounced, or Sershi. Yeah. I have no faith that we're saying Colin Lochran correctly. Yeah. Anyway, he's set to fight Taylor Lapalus. Yeah. And um, this should be an interesting fight. I mean, Lawhorn, it would be not, it would be kind of nice if this fight wasn't happening almost, I want to say. Yeah. Because I like Lawhorn's game. I mm-hmm. like his physicality. I like what he's showing up with. But it is not very complete. Yeah. It is very much like, I mean, 
he he not only looks like, but he strikes like a little Mike Chandler out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very muffled, very tense, uh, front foot heavy, not really even considering what the shot returning might be with the chance to land something hard in return. But then the moment he gets tagged, it's clear that, like, it's still a very young, uh, under-tutored style that he's working with. Where, like, you see him walking somebody down, you're like, man, this dude looks like a powerhouse. And yeah. his, his strikes are tight, and, you know, he throws with a lot of a lot of tension and a lot of power in each shot. And then you see him get, like, one dude. And he just backs up and like has to shake his head off, shake it off, and like yeah. restart. And there's no real responding, uh, responding instinct there. He can he can counter if he picks the right counter before the shot has landed. Yeah, but if he gets caught off guard at all, it's just like done. There's no. And, pro- and probably part of that start. is that he does respond very quickly to takedown threats. Mm-hmm. So he's just like tense and ready for that. And anything else that happens is going to surprise him. Yeah. And that should be a big problem against Lapalus. Yeah. Um, especially as a, a pretty stocky guy who looks like he has a short reach. Lapalus is as an absurdly long reach for his height. It's only five foot six with a 73 inch reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and he fights really long behind that reach. Lots of snapping punches, lots of combination and just, you know, steady work behind a jab, jab cross, long hook, low kick on the end of something. And if Lofgren's just going to try to repeatedly walk Lapalus down, he's going to be walking into that, those same kinds of combinations every single time. So, yeah, I have to pick Lapalus. I like Lofgren as a, a, a prospect. Um, but I think that this is just... I think he has the confidence of a fighter that is not that does not really understand that, that what this fight is going to be. Yeah, it's a good sign for somebody if he's fighting people at his level, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's confidence in, there, in general. He, like I yeah, want he him. He thinks he's gonna win, he's aggressive, yeah. he's he's got faith in his power. But yeah, he's just really stiff. He's super heavy on the front foot. Yeah. Another reason he has a really difficult time reacting correctly to any strikes. Um, he is just, he just has a lot to learn. Yeah. Most of his potential is physical and mental and very little of it is technical. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's also just the most Irish looking man I've ever seen. Oh yeah. He looks, and if you he's look, already started qu- calling, uh, Bilal Muhammad a dweeb. So, <laughs> If you look both um, 22 and 65 at once, yeah, yeah, you're either know. you're either a young Republican or a young Irishman. <laughs> One of two <laughs> could be both, but he uh, uh, just has that old man face despite having like baby skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is going to be a very natural looking 55 year old. 
Yeah. And yeah, it just feels like a it's just a mismatch. Yeah. And, but, and it's a mismatch with like two good fighters, which is weird, but it's just, you know, Lachran. Yeah, but one one's good for where he's at and where he's yeah. at is not where the other guy's at. Yeah. I'm glad to see Lachlan back, though. Yeah, um, for sure. It's really weird. I was li- reading into more of why he left the UFC. What was you know, the story? He was three and one when he. Mm-hmm. He when looked he good in the UFC. Yeah. And looked good in the UFC. He wanted to go because he wanted to become a boxer. Oh. And become a pro boxer. And he took one pro boxing fight the year after he left the UFC, won it, and then just never did it huh. again. Wonder what happened there. He actually strikes me as a guy, if he started early enough, who might have been okay at boxing. Yeah. But his story is that he loved MMA too much. Okay. My guess would be probably more that, like, Boxing is an incredibly difficult and tough sport to climb in. It just did to like get good fights and to make good money and to uh, put together a kind of record that has meaning for it. I, I would say it's probably not really harder than MMA, but he already had the foothold in MMA. I mean, so. MMA. You can, at the very least, there's a lot more uh, reliability in MMA where, like, you go 5-0, and oh, you get signed by the UFC. You win another five, and you'll, you'll, you're there with a contract, you know, on a track, even if it's not a good set track, but on a track to fight for a world title. You know? Yeah. Uh. It's not like I say. It's not a set track, but it I, is a, I just don't know if that's true. There's a there are a lot more world titles there, to move towards in boxing. There's there are a lot and more there's a lot of five and zero MMA fighters who aren't in the UFC. No, it's true, but I'm just saying in the boxing path, like there's no set. You you have to go out and like have people negotiate everything every time. You know. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I would just say, you know, you want to you want to break into boxing. It helps to have an amateur career and have a network and have connect have connections already. Yeah. Uh, and he started way too late to already have those things. So yeah. he would have had to grind for quite a while for very low pay. And the opportunity for him, because he already had the MMA career, yeah. was that he could probably start getting paid decent money uh, right away. He could go right back to it and it would still be yep. a career for him. Yeah, that and that's. I mean, we're tomato tomato. I just sure you don't yeah, have yeah. to necessarily grind that way if you're going into MMA. You know, we see a lot of fighters start MMA at 27, and that's true. Yeah, get signed to the UFC two yeah. years later. You that's know? true. That is a lot, a lot less common in boxing. It does happen, but it's a lot less common. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Lawren. I think this will probably just be kind of a rough wake up for him, but we'll see. You know, he's got the physicality, and he's at the age where he should be making jumps. So yeah, but it's it always like a prospect loss in the making. Yep. Odds on the fight: Lapalus is the favorite here. The odds have just opened, so he's at about minus one sixty. Lawren at about plus one twenty five. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Angel, Angelusa against Reese McKee. Is it Anga or Anja? 
Anga, I don't know. Angelusa? I'm not sure. Yeah, Angelusa. Losa. Angelosa, like sure. Let's say that. That sounds nice. Um, Reese McKee. Yeah. Um, this is a fight. I don't hate this yeah. matchup. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I think Angelosa has more potential than Reese McKee. Yeah, he's I, he's just a better physical specimen. Yeah, and, and that that tends and, to be the potential to find her. And people know uh, our opinion on his coaching. He's got good yes. coaching, and it seems to have been um, yielding the kind of slow results that we expect out of Henry Hoofd's fighters. Mm-hmm. He's just looked a little more confident, a little more um, at ease, and uh, more like he is embodying the system that has been imposed upon him with each fight. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, taking him as a, as a fighter who I think is characteristically quite tense and needs to kind of have the nerves shaken or uh, rather struck out of him mm-hmm. to kind of settle into a fight. That process has been happening more and more smoothly with each performance. And uh, he's, as a result, been a much more aggressive, high output, fluid fighter from the jump in each of these fights. Yeah. And um, I suppose it's still interesting here because Reese McKee is going to have something to trouble him that previous opponents have not all had. Although I guess Munir Lazez, which is the size. Yeah. Reese McKee is, I haven't actually compared their stats, but he's 6'2", 78-inch reach. 5'10", with a 74-inch reach. Yeah. So a a, a big height difference and a considerable reach difference. And the two uh, uh, affect each other. It is interesting to note that, like, McKee is also younger while having a game that I would say is, like, it's not, I don't know that it's ever going to evolve more than it is already. It's but an it's ossified m- kind of game. But it's much more suited to the way he wants to fight from the jump. Mm, yeah. Like, I, I think Reese McKee knows what kind of fighter he needs to be. And he is always trying to be that kind of fighter. Whereas sure. with Lusa is much more, he's on the hoofed journey. Sure. Of, you know. Yeah. That being yeah. said, while Reese McKee will have the capability of hitting Angelosa from very far away, uh, I'm not sure that he's all that good at like making that a consistent advantage. Yeah. He's very tall. He, he stands very tall. And He's very much a fighter. Like, like I say, I, the reason I was saying that I think Reese McKee uh, has a more concentrated and particular game for himself is that I, he really is a momentum fighter. Yeah. Where, you know, he wants to fight behind a snapping one, two. And early on in fights, he's just trying to kind of feel out his range, feel out what he can get done uh, and trying to get his opponents to respect his size and distance. Cause a lot of people will just walk through yeah. his distance tools. Cause he's not a great physical force. He doesn't have a ton of snap on his punches. So even like a 40 year old Jim Wallhead right. in his last fight was able to just put McKee on the back foot a lot and hit, hit some big wild overhands on him. Yeah. But the more fights go, the fight goes on McKee, you know, McKee has a good gas tank. Yep. And like he's say, tough he, in a he's tough in a Julian Arosa kind of way. Yeah. And he is trying people, to people will shock him and he's been yeah. knocked out early, but he's had some very tough 
back and forth fights that go late. If he doesn't get finished early, he yeah. is capable of soaking up a lot of punishment. Capable of soaking up a lot of punishment. And if he starts to build, if he can get a wedge in, yeah, then he will get more aggressive and relentless as the fight goes on and pour yeah. on more offense as he goes. Yeah. And I suppose that makes for a pretty interesting dynamic here. Cause if yeah. Angelosa doesn't get rolling quickly enough, he will allow McKee to get comfortable and then he's going to have a lot to deal with. I would say the advantage for Losa is that even when McKee is on a roll, he's very hittable. He's very hittable, and Losa is just the more dynamic, yeah, powerful athlete in there. His yeah, he his may even be able to be harder. He may even be able to thwart that momentum with a good takedown here. And then mm-hmm. Losa has been willing to shoot um, to stop forward momentum and pressure from his opponents, and it has. That has worked against McKee in the past, but so has just um, the ability to to adjust your positioning, to move your feet, to keep a jab out there, and to counter. That was very effective for Alex Morono in McKee's mm-hmm. last UFC fight. And I think there's probably enough of Alex Morono in Angelosa at this point. Um, well, and coupled with more speed and power than absolutely Morono has ever had. Yeah. Um, he's, he's got a little less of the inborn confidence of Morono, but he's also ability. <laughs> yeah, he's durable. And he, he really, despite the fact that it was a loss, he really impressed me in his fight with Munir Lozes. Cause mm-hmm. that was one where there was a big tall guy who was taking it to him right away. He had to battle his demons as well as his opponent. And he finished that fight quite strong. Yeah. And uh, and showed a lot of toughness and a lot of heart. And uh, as as I said, like just kind of got more relaxed and more fought more on feel the longer the fight went on, no matter how tough it was. So I'm definitely going to take Losa, better athlete, yeah, more potential because of that, but also just a cleaner, more flexible kind of striker and fighter in general, really. Yeah. Yep. He's more durable, and he's faster and stronger. And he's very willing to, you know, he, he will build his own momentum when he gets the chance Yeah, and he can find, you know, he, he, he has good coaching behind him. He tends to find his footing as fights go on and McKee, you know, you really, I really feel like for McKee, his style works best when he's not athletically overmatched mm-hmm. you know it's got he's got a slow building i'm gonna build my tools behind behind some simple ones and twos and kicks and when people are more athletic than him they tend to just be able to bully him and yeah. never let him get started on that never let him click into the next gear and yeah. it's really only when it's somebody like jim wallhead or other guys on that regional level who don't they don't have an athletic game to take to McKee anyway. Yeah. That, that style really starts to come into play and he can, he can find his, his late surge. Yeah. But again, that's where, um, Angelosa's characteristic slow starts make this a, a more yeah. interesting matchup than it really needs to be. And, uh, I suspect McKee's Erosa style of durability will serve him well in that kind yeah. of fight. Cause... And McKee is certainly between the two of them. He is the much better finisher. He's he is sure. the much more likely yeah. to. I found something that works. I'm going to use it to finish you. Sure. Whereas Losa tends to be like, oh, I'm I'm finding my confidence. I will have more success doing the things that I I know how to do. Yeah, 
He's got quite yeah. a few second, third, and even that one fourth round finish against Jim Wallhead. Yeah. And Losa hasn't finished anyone since he hit LFA. You know, the moment he took a step up from the low level regionals to higher level regionals. Yep. All it's all been tough and tough wars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting matchup. Yep. Yeah. Uh odds on the fight. Losa is the favorite. Opened at minus 167, currently minus 175. Wiki opened at plus 149, currently plus 156. Line has not been moving a lot. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout. Nora Cornole, or Cornole, Cornole? It's French, so Nora Cornole. Yeah, I'm guessing. Nora Cornhole. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if it is. I wonder if it's derived in some way. You know how there's Cornwall in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is where the uh, all the Welsh, uh, all the Welsh who didn't get up to Wales, you know, all the all the Gales were were pushed west in England, mm-hmm. and then in Brittany and France, which is called Brittany because it has all the British people, i.e., Welsh people there. Uh, there is a part of of Brittany called Cornwall, mm. which is. I wonder if that's what it comes from. Could be. Nor- a, lot of, a lot of Euro-linguistic uh, factoids yeah. <laughs> creeping yeah. into this episode. No- Nora Cornhole. <laughs> Nora Cornhole. Nora Cornhole. <laughs> Taking on Jocelyn Edwards, Connor's favorite. Yes. And, uh, you this know. This is you. Take it away. Yeah. <laughs> This just looks like, I mean, this is one of those fights where you watch, you watch one fighter and you're like, oh, they're not going to win this. <laughs> and then you watch their opponent and you're like, oh, oh they're not going to win this either. Yeah. Like Edwards is still, she is just your, like your classic case of you were insulated by your athleticism for too long. Yeah. And you've only had to start getting good recently. And it might be too late. You know, she's still only 27. But it is really just like you are faster, you are stronger, you have cleaner technique striking than yeah. pretty much anybody you've ever fought. Ever. I mean, sort of. Sort of. I would say the technique is what lets her down. Well, I'm talking just like the base, like you can release a kick kind of. She has some good power transfer in that. I, t- I think I, I think that's what really carries her is that she hits hard. Yeah. She's big and she's very powerful. Like, yeah, it's the fact that she has no idea of like how to position herself, how to maintain her range, how to set yeah. things up. So many of her fights are defined by her like getting clocked, getting pressured, looking horribly uncomfortable and then getting mad. And when she goes to get it back she can shift the momentum of a fight because yeah. she's huge and she hits hard. Yeah. And but I, yeah. I would say her technique is shit. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm just saying like the single strike power transfer kind of thing where like, you know, compared to somebody like Carol Hosa or Jessica Rose Clark, for instance, yeah, they might be technically throwing better combinations, yeah, but they don't get near as much power transfer out of it. 
Yeah, that that to me is more. It reads more as like you know how like you 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 put a, a basketball in John Jones's hands and you're like, oh my god, like why don't you know how to throw a ball? Yeah, yeah. You know, and you put a ball in somebody else's hands, and some people just get it. It's not yeah. necessarily a great tech, technical understanding. But the athletic mechanics make yeah. sense to them. Yeah. That's what you're seeing in it. Worse, she yeah. can throw a kick, and it looks like something that comes pretty naturally. Basically, she's Waldo. She's bantamweight Waldo Cortez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it largely works out okay for her because. Yep. The there aren't that many fighters that she's going to fight that actually have a big technical jump on her to the yeah. point that they can turn that into asserted physicality. And like, and most of them are, in fact, just physically inferior. Yeah. Yeah. And Nora Cornole, or Cornole. Nora Cornhole. We're Nora with Cornhole. That. Yeah. She's just raw. In yep. every sense of the word, yep. her her wins in MMA just seem like totally aimless fights where her opponent makes some terrible mistake, and then the fact that uh, Cornhole is uh, reasonably strong becomes a big problem. Yeah, where it's just like, oh, you clinched with me and tried to throw me to the mat. And I landed on top because I'm stronger than you. Yeah. And now I'm just going to start beating you up. And that probably won't be enough to beat uh, Jocelyn Edwards. Nope. That's it. Edwards gets a particular kind of matchup a lot. Yeah. Which is somebody who does not have any kind of technical sophistication. Yep. Who is also not as physically imposing. Yep. And throughout her career, these are matchups which she can just sort of stumble her way into winning. Mm-hmm. She can get hit with like a super clean takedown, like a takedown attempt that shouldn't even have worked, but it does. And then she'd be like, ah, I'm going to try to triangle feet on hips. Oh, I kicked you nine feet into the air and now I can just stand up at my leisure. She can faff around on the feet and get backed off and respond poorly to pressure. And then she gets hit clean and she's like, fuck you and then she runs at her opponent and throws a big kick or a big punch and it breaks them yeah um she is genuinely a good physical specimen for this division and it's really all she has i think but yep. um yeah unless she's fighting like you know the carol hoses of the world i mean for all i know the carol hose of today would lose to jocelyn edwards because she yeah. doesn't appear to have a technically sophisticated game herself anymore yeah, the, and, you know, I certainly would not pick uh, Jessica Rose Clark over Edwards again. No, but right. even there, somebody who just had a very simple, straightforward game plan of I'm going to take you down and hold you there and defend submissions, and Edwards had nothing. Yeah, I'm wondering when... <sighs> Man, th- so the... The weird thing to me is I'm wondering when she moved her camp to King's MMA. Is oh, she did still she? there? Yeah. Cause it, but it seems like it's the only camp that's ever listed for her. Let me see. Jocelyn. you got to confirm that with Instagram. That's the way yeah. to do it. You've got to see if I'm they're going. posting gym pictures because tapology is very unreliable as is it, It's really is. bad for gyms especially. But I was checking yeah. Wiki. Wiki tends to be uh, at least 
they tend to have a history of when people change camps. That's true. Even those are often out of date, though. You got to the yeah. Instagram uh, gym photos is the way to go. Looks like uh, she's training out of extreme couture these days. OK, there's a picture of her with Chris Curtis and that crew. All right. Um, also a reputable gym. I mean, yeah, although it has less of a track record of actually improving fighters. Not not in as like predictable a way. Yeah, as not Kings as MMA has that that uh, Henry Hooft quality of like, okay, I kind of know what direction yeah. you're going to be going in. Yeah, so it looks like she's, yeah, she's maybe just kind of bouncing around different camps a bit and uh, training out of Vegas a lot in general. Like the stuff of her with her with people at the Performance Institute and stuff like that. Um, and but otherwise, basically, her her camp right now appears to be Extreme Couture, which yeah, you know, could be better, could be worse. Uh, it's too bad. It. I was thinking like, otherwise. It's like if she's really spent the last five years at King's MMA, like that's a pretty bad job of imposing their their game on a fighter. Yeah, I have enough respect for that gym that I would be like, something's wrong with her. She yeah. should learn. Yeah, yeah. Or it's just a bad fit with the coaching style yeah. and it doesn't work for her. But but her, her bouncing around and being other places makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. She does not appear to have really learned much at all. No. Beyond what she arrived to the UFC already uh, possessing. Because I would think otherwise, like just from the outside looking in, I'd be like, yeah, King's MMA is a good idea. Like, sure. Yeah. And you would also think that she looks like a fighter who certainly has some of the potential yeah. to uh, to turn into something. But yeah, she's just yeah. permanently raw. Yeah. At this point, I'd much more be like, eh, go to like, I mean, the Extreme Couture is fine, but otherwise I'd be like, yeah, go to like... I mean, if if Whitman wasn't so controlled, you know, like get into one of those like team elevation. Some, somebody's going to teach you a few like late career tricks. You yeah, know? I don't know. But yeah, whatever. She needs a fundamental rebuilding is what she needs. Well, yeah, she doesn't, doesn't have a striking game or any kind of game, really. She she just has tricks. Yeah, but like that's what I'm saying. Is just get somebody who's going to teach you like add sure. more tricks yeah. to your game. Rather than, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, I see the, the I see idea of like, oh, we're going to tear you down right now after a decade of MMA and try to rebuild your game from scratch. And you'll spend the next five years clawing your way back to a semblance of fun- fundamentals. Yeah. But hey, you know what? As you said uh, before, it's been remarkably effective for her because women's bantamweight. Yeah. So we're picking her to win this fight. Yep. Uh Odds makers have it dead even. Knoll st- opened at plus 112 and is now at minus 103. Nor Cornhole. Nor Cornhole. Uh, Edwards <laughs> opened at minus 132 and is currently at minus 110. Honestly, Knoll uh, is. She is at such a. You need to prove something place for me right now. Yeah, I think that that's way too short of odds for her, given the level of competition she's faced and even lost to already in her debut. Like she she lost to Jacqueline Cavalcante or Cavalcanche, 
actually, since it's Portuguese, mm-hmm. um, who's also debuting on this card. And it's just like, you know, that's another pretty raw talent as well. You're mm-hmm. not, otherwise, you've just been crushing cans. All right. That brings us to another bantamweight fight men's bantamweight, Farid Basharat, Cledson Rodriguez. And probably the right move for Rodriguez. Uh, I love his physical tools. I love the idea of him as a flyweight, but at five foot six, like I went back and I watched that CJ Vergara fight again. Yeah. And I was like, you look like a wraith. Yeah. You look like you you look like somebody who is like bantamweight Joe or featherweight Jose Aldo size. And you're fighting at flyweight. Yeah, it's true. You look and at his, you look at his like topology profile picture. Like that is clearly him in the gym at a pretty healthy weight. Yeah. Then you see him in the cage and no matter how much weight he's put back on, he looks drawn. Yeah. His eyes, his eye sockets are like sticking out from the rest of his face in a way that should not be happening. Yeah. And you know, and he missed weight by a couple pounds against Shannon Ross. Yep. And so, and then he's, he's probably the kind of guy who will come in still having had to cut a bunch of weight to make 135 because probably yeah. his body was desperate to pack on some more mass. Yeah. And then he missed weight by four pounds against Tatsuya Tyra and they had yeah. to cancel the fight altogether. Yeah. So him b- bouncing up to bantam weight is probably the right move. It'll be interesting to see how it transfers there, how he transfers there because you know, he had the athleticism to be a top five kind of flyweight. But Bantamweight is a whole different kettle of fish. It is not it is not the same kind of division as, as flyweight. And the same rules don't apply. And so I'm, I'm interested to see yeah. what he looks like here. And Fareed Basharat is going to provide a really interesting test pretty stiff test yeah because yeah i don't think on it given a vacuum i don't think that basharat can uh compete striking strike for strike with rodriguez but basharat fights really smart and doesn't make a lot of dumb moves he and does. Rodriguez I think I think he's the smarter of the bros. Yeah. And Rodriguez doesn't fight that smart. Yeah. The other what's the other one? Um the, the bigger Javid Basharat. Javid's yeah, the more athletic one. For yeah. seems like he's the more calculated. He's the he's the uh, Sergio yeah. to to Javid's uh uh Anthony Pettis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Javid, I mean, both impressed us and exceeded our expectations already. Javid yeah. with his um, toughness, all of the Conor McGregor mimicry in his game uh, sort of belied the fact that when he is forced to just go in there and fight hard for three rounds, he's perfectly down to do it. Yeah. Like, Great oh, scene. you're you're Good you're card, hitting yeah. me. I act like a guy who thinks he can't be hit, and yet when you prove you can hit me, all right, I'm going to hit you back. Yeah, I'll that stay in the pocket. Sign. Make things happen and hang yep. tough with you, and I will assert my confidence on you at throughout the fight. Like you are yeah. going to have to deal with me not being willing to back down from you all the time. And then Farid is a guy who like lives a lot more on his footwork and his jab. Yeah, 
And his um, wrestling, his takedown game. And his wrestling, absolutely. Both defensive and offensive. He's uh, That was perhaps the most impressive thing about that fight with DeMond Blackshear is like, yeah. he got shocked with one big takedown. He handled himself on his back quite well. Showed uh, the right balance, I thought, of patience and urgency to force his way back to his feet. You know, paid attention to his defense. Um, forced Blackshear basically to create some space to get anything done kicked him off and jumped back up and then he was hitting his own takedown shortly thereafter. Yeah. I mean, I know um, Blackshear is not the cleanest defensive wrestler in the world, but Blackshear's yeah. career since then has only belied that that was a really quality performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's that, 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 that's a win that has aged very well for Bashara. And, um, and Blackshear is certainly a good scrambler, even if he might yeah. give up that initial takedown and Bashara dealt with that pretty well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just don't know. It's it's difficult to know what to expect at Rodriguez because um he did look like in that Vergara fight as you mentioned, not just drawn but he he showed a lot of things that make me think they were probably probably a result of the uh, obviously horrific weight cut. Like Yeah. Not getting necessarily hurt constantly, but getting shocked. Yeah. By a lot of what Vergara was hitting him with, like he just couldn't react quickly enough that things just hit him way cleaner than he thought they were going to. Um, just he definitely just looked a little sluggish. He's More also slug- a fighter who was very clearly used to just not ha- having people be sh- so shocked by his athleticism that they yeah. would just go away. Yeah, he's Vergara. fast and powerful and big. I mean, he's imposing. Like he practically outlanded Vergara, I think, like three to one in the opening round of their fight. Yeah. And Vergara was like right there in front of him, pressuring him. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, shit, I don't know what to do about this at all. Yeah. But certainly in his his reactions to strikes or lack thereof, um, the like resets he was forced to take, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out that those things look a lot better. Yeah. Without yeah. the massive weight cut that he just looks sharper and, and quicker to react and um, and probably a lot sort of uh, relatively faster mm-hmm. as a result. But I, I just don't know. And if those things aren't purely a factor of the weight cut, if it's just that, oh, I need to bully people and I don't like when that doesn't happen. Yeah. Basharat stands to make him pretty consistently uncomfortable. Yeah, that's the thing. He is a he is a methodical pressure fighter when he has a mind to be, and it all again it all comes from yeah like having a multitude of simple but effective threats and an, a, a really quite good jab. Yeah. So I until I I kind of need to see it from Rodriguez really I think he's yeah. he's obviously impressive physically, but he's a bit of a wild man and he did not like being bossed around by. Um, by a, yeah. a, a fairly workmanlike striker and wrestler in CJ Vergara. I think Basharat is a smarter version of that kind of approach. Yeah, and there was unfortunately there really wasn't anything to know about that win over Shannon Ross, except that it yeah, was good that course. it was good that that uh Rodriguez didn't look cowed by the Vergara loss. Yeah. I mean, there was also like, a good thing about the Vergara losses. I honestly would argue that Rodriguez won that fight. Yeah, I know he got controlled for a lot of the last two rounds, but he clearly won the first round, and I thought he landed the, all the better shots in the third round. Sure, that's fair. 
And so I would have argued that he actually deserve. He actually has the natural gifts, and he had the stick to itiveness, even when things went wrong. Mm-hmm. To keep coming after Vergara. I, you know, I still think he's a pretty special talent, despite that loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know if he's actually fixed any of the fundamental problems that loss brought up, because, you know, Shannon Ross is a shadow of the athlete and dur- not nearly durable enough to compete at this level. No, and. For you know, Rodriguez just went out there and stormed his castle in the way he did exactly the same thing he did to Vergara, but Ross can't take it. Yeah. So we, we don't really Ross, know. We knew Ross wasn't going to be able to take it. Yeah. And we don't know with Basharat if he goes out there and he just tries to storm Farid Basharat. I have a lot more faith that Basharat is going to do what Vergara did, mm-hmm. whether it find takedowns find jabs, find crafty ways to frustrate Rodriguez. And probably do it better. I mean, yeah, Vergara is, we like Vergara. He's a solid fighter, um, but he is not as consistent as Farid Basharat appears to be. Basharat appears to be a really very principled, systematic kind of fighter. Yeah. And we don't know if Rodriguez has learned to deal with that. He, He has the athletic potential to do it. It's a real... You know, the kid is a Song Yadong kind of mm-hmm. physical toolbox. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't, you know, we don't know how, how well he's learned to manage all that yet. So mm-hmm. I got to take Basharat too. Yeah. Especially the wrestling with Vergara able to get Rodriguez down once he started to flag and Basharat able to control uh, Demon Blackshear on the mats. For stretches, I just feel like that's a place that he could really frustrate Rodriguez a lot. Yeah, it's not not a bad matchup. I mean, it's certainly no. interesting, perhaps a little unkind to Rodriguez, but uh, I suppose that is also. I mean, I don't even feel all that righteous about saying this. I'm going to say that's what happens when you like miss weight by a yeah. bunch. But also, like we know that there is immense pressure on fighters to cut as much weight as they possibly can in that's- modern MMA. So I'm not going to be too hard on the guy for that, but uh, it's also if, just speaks to the like the differences too between bandweight and flyweight of like bandweight is just literally a shark. Like Farid Basharat has won one fight in the bandweight division. Yeah, you know he's not anybody right now. He just no. he looks like an interesting prospect, but that division is full of dudes yeah. that are really tough to beat. That are just, yeah, physical beasts with huge power who just get into wars with each other nonstop. So yeah. Basharat isn't even that. He's not even that kind of bantamweight. But yeah, but it it really seems to have. I think they're right. You know, it's one of those things of like. I think it probably hits perfectly on the head, the cross section of men across the world who are actually just too small to play other sports while still being in a very average height and physical size range. Oh, absolutely. This is why in boxing, the best weight classes are between like 126 and and 140, 147. Like, yeah, yeah, that is absolutely the sweet spot for your average sized male athlete. Yeah, I know. I've got most people throughout the world are not as big as uh, we Europeans and Americans. 
And well, and, and most sports, most big pro sports, you stick in ball sports. They mostly require you to be big. I know people are like, oh, yeah. well, Messi's a soccer star. And it's like, yeah, but if you look at the average height of a soccer player, it's six foot or six one. Yeah. And given that the average height of a person around the world is like or a, a man is like five, seven or five, eight, five, nine, somewhere in there. Yeah. Then you actually have to understand that the average soccer player is actually skewing even taller than six foot, six foot one. Yeah. To get to that kind of average. It's a special uh, aspect of combat sports. Yeah. Weight, weight classes. It allows. Uh, bigger is only better within set parameters. Yeah. And but little guys can still be world class. Your your rugby, your your football, your hockey, your you know your whatever your your sports around the world, even tennis. Yeah. Most of your great tennis players out there are like, you know, six foot one, six foot two, six foot three. Yeah. Guys. So what's the, what's the combat sport with very few little guys as being successful? Sumo. Yeah. No weight class. Yeah. Big as as big as you can be. And guess what? The big dudes win. <laughs> yeah. Because it's an advantage. So it, it yeah, is the average really... man, the average man is like five, six and 140 pounds. You know, yeah. like the average man in the world is quite small compared to me. And, and even too, like, you know, maybe they're maybe they're five foot eight and they are 165 pounds. And they but can cut take, to 145. Yeah. Exactly. You take that, you put that person through a shitload of MMA training and they end up being uh, your average bantamweight. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of people in, you know, large portions of Africa and Asia and South America yeah. that are just little, littler yeah. than you and I. Yeah. And so that, that is one, like, I think that is what makes bantamweight such a shark tank, even like yeah. compared to, to flyweight where it's like flyweight, you're really getting into the, okay, these are actually little dudes. These are yeah. actually small dudes from around the world are small in, even in their own country. Yeah. And bantamweight is the more like, no, this is actually a lot of average men. Yep. Bantamweights and featherweights. And yeah. Yeah. Like I said, one of the deepest weight classes in the history of boxing is, is boxing featherweight, which is 126. Yeah. Those guys are cutting at most throughout boxing, like 10 pounds. Yeah. To make that. Those are like worldwide average sized men. And that's a great goddamn division. Yeah. So MMA, you know, it's that is why Rodriguez, like I, you know, part of me was like, oh, yeah, he could be a top five flyweight. And now if I'm like, I don't know. He I, has the makings of a good athlete. But, yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is just the probably the biggest worldwide talent pool is right around that weight. Yeah. Uh, odds on the bout. Boshrat is a heavy favorite. Minus open at minus two thirty three. It could be or is currently down minus three twenty six. Rodriguez opened at minus uh, plus two hundred three. Currently plus two seventy four. I do not. Boshrat is not a. At the moment, he is not a special bantamweight. No. Like he is, he is a technically smart fighter. Yeah. And he's a pretty big bantamweight. Uh, I mean, not huge, but 5'8 with a 71-inch reach. He's, he's good he's, size, yeah. He's rangy and good size. But he does not seem to have top-end athleticism for that division. And, yeah, this, to me, should be a much, much closer fight. Mm-hmm. 
But all right. That brings us to a woman's band and weight bout. Zara Fan, Jacqueline Cavalcanche. Uh, Do you not pronounce not... the I at all? Is it not Cavalcanche? I I was listening to her earlier fights and the announcers, and it was like Cavalcanche. Okay. It was really harsh, and I hate it. And I'm is she just... a is she a black belt? <laughs> black belt. Uh, my favorite, my favorite example. The first time I ever encountered that sound, uh, that that element of the Brazilian Portuguese. I'm guessing mm-hmm. just Portuguese accent, maybe. Although no, she is a Brazilian who trains out of Portugal. Oh, is she? Yeah. Um, so maybe it is just a Brazilian Portuguese thing. But uh, was uh, one Leodo Machida one of my first favorite fighters? I saw him matched up with Tito Ortiz, or as he insisted on calling him, Chito. <laughs> Chito is a very good fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Great accent. I do. I do love the Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese accent. I love the accent. I hate pronouncing it myself. I hate having to go. <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. Well, we all hate things torture. we're not good at. But anyway, Zara Fern, Jacqueline Cavalcanti, and uh, yeah. Uh-huh. You, you, uh, I think you should probably go first. Yeah, I think this was technically supposed to be me, but I <laughs> fucked up the the order enough that, like, why don't you just? Um, I don't feel I'm going to tell you right now. Any better prepared to go first? Probably for the same reasons because yeah. Zara Farron. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned before, Cavalcanti is just uh, remarkable only for her rawness. Yeah, like she's got she's got some some steady striking and some steady ma- distance maintenance to her that I like. Yeah, but it's all at a very, you know, rudimentally rudimentary rudimentary. We're just getting started, kind of. Yeah, um, you know, uh, where and and the difficulty in picking her is that Zara Farron is not good. Yeah, but she is big. And she, you know, as she showed against in her fight with Nunes, with Nunes, there is an aspect of the fight where Farron can be dangerous. She landed a lot of really clean shots on Nunes when yeah. Nunes wanted to make it a edge of the pocket. We just stand and trade fight. Uh, yeah. Well, because I, but I think, you know, I actually look, she's actually not actually bigger than Cavalcanti. Yeah. Um, Cavalcanti, at least according to topology, has an inch of height on her. Yeah. Um, but I think what we really saw in Farron's fight with, uh, it is Nunes, right? I didn't just yep. make that up. No, it is Josiane Nunes. Um, is that she felt imposing. Yeah. She was just like towering over. Nunes is particularly short. For the division, and mm-hmm. she just like towered over her and just poured in a horrible, messy volume. Yep. That uh, yeah was like completely overwhelming for Nunes for for long stretches of that fight. Um, and I I think it's possible that uh, it's certainly possible that Cavalcanti, despite not being tiny, could also get overwhelmed by just rude pressure. Yeah. But. As a technician, she does look like a much better schooled uh, fighter. Like she, she has significantly less experience than Farron. Yeah, 
and already she looks like when she throws her punches, like her feet stay under her. They're reasonably short. It's just that you can kind of see the 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 rawness comes out in how she responds to pressure. Yeah. The fact that she's not super confident in like maintaining a pace, which it seems like her technique should be able to withstand. Yep. It's like a mental uh mm-hmm. mental noviceness more than it is a technical one. Yep. Yeah, I mean the big thing for me is Farron, you know, she she's done a bunch of kickboxing in the past, and you can see it at times when she is just gets to stand and trade, like she did with Nunez. But there are so many ways for her to fight herself out of the action yeah. that you can't trust her to maintain anything. Like no. She was whipping Nunez's ass for a couple of minutes in the first in, in that fight last time. Yeah. And then she just got stung a couple times and got on the back foot and couldn't get off of it for minutes herself. Yeah. And couldn't offer anything and just was sort of on her bike and then got tired. Yeah. And then she's horribly inefficient, probably. Yeah. And so it just it's like even in what you're doing well, there are too many holes for an opponent to just hang around and wait till you can't do it anymore. Yeah. And Cavalcanti at least seems like she can. I think she's got potential. Yeah. She she can sit down on her tools and use them again. And she might not maintain all all her pace all that well or whatever, but it's not because she's too tired or too, you know, has run herself out of her ability to fight the way she wants to. It's just because she doesn't know enough of how she wants to fight. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not having that feeling for the fight as a whole. Yeah. Whereas moment to moment, uh, I think she clearly does have the feel. I think she yeah. she's, she looks pretty well schooled, as I said. You can also see when she does get an opportunity to finish, mm-hmm. she she converts pretty smoothly. Like yeah, I, I, I again, I, I think her feeling for her range, uh, how to connect her strikes together, it's there. It's um, sustaining that for an entire fight against a good opponent of, of which she has not fought many, if any. Um, I'm kind of inclined to pick her, I guess, on potential because I, I think Farron Farron is just a mess. Yeah, Farron's Ooh. just a mess, and we're she's dropped being forced back to down to bantamweight after spending a bunch of time at featherweight. This is so, apparently at 140 according to topology. Oh, it's it's being oh it's at 140. Okay. Well, either way, I just don't you know I don't know that. Farron is really primed to fight under 145 pounds. I guess Cavalcanti, as you say, is bigger. But um, despite actually being, yeah, so far a career bantamweight. Yeah. She's an inch taller. I just. We'll see. These numbers aren't always set in stone. You can look at the numbers on paper sometimes and then they're in the cage. You're like, no, you're not an inch taller than her. It's true. We'll see. But But I, I just don't. There's too many ways I've seen Farron lose a fight. For me to think that somebody who's coming in reasonably well schooled isn't going to find one of those ways to win. Yeah, 
and I, and I think yeah, there there is you know a twenty six year old uh, as an MMA kickboxer, Kava Conch looks like she could be pretty good, even yeah. if she's not there yet. And I would never say that about Zara Fair. <laughs> There's yeah. going to be women she can make uncomfortable by lobbing just slime at them, but that is really what her striking amounts to. <laughs> yeah. Farron opened at plus 243, is currently at plus 289. Kavlkanch opened at minus 286, is currently at minus 346. That's too wide. It's just too wide. Kavlkanch is really quite untested. And yeah. this might not be a big step up, but that doesn't mean that we should be, you know... If Farron has one good round in her and doesn't get TKO'd, yeah. then that that could be enough to make this fight a split decision. Yeah. Gavakanch has basically fought no one. So Yeah. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to jump over one more time and take a look at the UFC Fight Night Holloway Korean Zombie uh, prelim card. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.